Welcome to the High Impact Man podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope to help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. All right, we're back for another episode of the High Impact Man podcast. I'm your host, Nevin Gorky, known as DFib, or the defibrillator, as Hello Kitty called me, in the gloom with his F3 brothers. And I'm joined by my co-host, Troy Klinger, known as Dial-Up, in the gloom with his F3 brethren. Dial-Up, how you doing today? You know, I'm doing good, but I'll admit, this week I've been a little annoyed by the whole daylight savings time thing. I just take an hour of sleep away. We're already sleep deprived. But more, more importantly, like I just put my headset away. Or my, my headlamp. Oh, right, right. Got to right? break out the headlamp. We were finally, after all these months of working out in the dark, I put my headlight away, and now it's right back out because it's Yeah, I know, I know. Son I think, of a gun. If I remember correctly, it doesn't usually take very long for the, the light to come back. I hope that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, but what are you going to do? Yeah, I know. It's the gloom, man. It is the gloom. It gloom is the gloom. For a reason. I know. It is the gloom for a reason. I can tell you that it's probably always going to be gloomy at 5 a.m. That was the beatdown time this morning that you missed, by the way. Yeah. Sorry about that. <clears throat> That's all right. I know you made up for it and ran five miles this afternoon, but it doesn't count because you weren't with us. <laughs> Although it was on Strava, so I guess it does count. It does count. If it's all on right. Strava, it counts. It's if on it's Strava, on Strava it, it doesn't count. So whatever you did this morning, Porky's, we didn't get to our guest yet. But his didn't count. He's not on Strava. It's not Strava. Mine was on Strava. You were on Strava, yeah. All right. For anybody who doesn't know what Strava is, why don't you, why don't you describe Strava for the people that are listening? It's the uh, only way exercise can really happen. Other, otherwise, it's all just make-believe. <laughs> uh, no, Strava is just an app for anybody that does not, doesn't know what it is. It's a social media for uh, exercise, essentially. Runners, bikers are probably the heaviest users. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you post your workouts, what you're doing, how far, how fast, how high, how low. You biked, ran, climbed. Skied, you skied once. Skied, yeah, you can do skiing. You can do like every activity. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a neat tool. You kind of connect with other people that are in the workout community that's out there and you can see what they're doing. And they can give you kudos, which is kind of like the likes of Facebook. You can leave comments for folks. You can post yeah. pictures. You can post your maps. Uh, you can do a little bit of uh, a little bit of everything. But yeah, it's a, it's the social media of exercise. Yeah. So this episode of the High Peck Man podcast brought to you by Strava. Yes. Strava. Free of charge. Anytime you want to endorse us, we're, we're waiting. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't plan on that. Just a shameless plug. Yeah. All right, I guess we should get to our guest. Huh? We probably should, yes. All right, another getting, high impact man. Yeah, we're recording this a little late, you know. He might start falling asleep on us. I know, he's it's, a little it, old. It's, yeah, he's in the respect category <laughs> with me. It's, it's, it's our bedtime, so bear with us. We're a little sleep deprived here. We're, it's usually, we're usually in, in the fart sack by now. Our guest joining us today is none other than Bill DeReamer. He is known as Porky's in the Gloom. Uh, I'm going to read his bio for you. He's one of five siblings. He grew up in a place called Plymouth, Pennsylvania, formerly known as the Shiny Indians, when it was Plymouth High School before it joined into a big conglomeration that he and I graduated from. I will say Porky's a little older than me. Is though, that where so. the Mayflower landed? <laughs> <laughs> Not that Plymouth. No, different Plymouth. All right. All right. Growing up, Porky's was uh, heavily involved in sports, baseball, football, basketball. He meddled in punt, pass, and kick. We got to talk about that. Yeah. He won a local home run derby. We have to talk about that. Uh, in high school, he played baseball in ninth grade, but his big claim to fame is he's a wrestler. Boy, he likes it, too. He watches college wrestling all the time, 
and he's into it. Uh, he finished third in districts once, and he was a district champ his senior year. Junior college, he wrestled for a year. He, he was a wild card for nationals, and after that, he started coaching. Coached at all levels, PID, and he was also a PIAA official for 12 years. That's in the state of Pennsylvania. Graduated in 2000 with a physical education degree, and he's been teaching phys ed. Um, since then, he's uh, coached junior high football for two years in the past. He's not currently coaching that, but he's married. God bless him. He's married with four children, and he is our guest today. Porky's welcome. Thank you. I feel like I'm listening to Dan Patrick and Keith Oberman here. <laughs> so, and, are, and, Plim, and by the way, the Mayflower. Yeah. Plim, my town would fit inside the Mayflower. That's right. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So so I do have a question for you. Sorry to get on your case right off the bat, but he, he played basketball. So I didn't mention basketball. Did I mention? No, basketball? it was it was in his bio. Yeah, he, he played he played basketball. basketball. So oh, it is on there. Yeah. So he was a. He, he so were you not very, for a while. were you not very good? Is that why you ended up wrestling? <laughs> well, there's not too many places for a four foot eight basketball player. That's true. They didn't have the three point line back then either. They did not. Yeah. Plus, we were, I'd foul out a lot, so that didn't help. <laughs> All right. Anyway, hence the wrestling. The wrestling thing worked out for you pretty good. So it worked out. Yes. Yeah. All right. So you know, we, we're hoping to reach a broad audience, but many of our listeners, we hope, will be F three men. So we got to find out how did you get involved with F three? Who E H you, and how did you get your name? Well, I got E H by defibrillator. Actually. I'm not even sure if it was an EH, technically, because you asked me to come along on board. I was always involved with physical fitness, and you grabbed a few of us and said, uh, you know, I have this F3 thing. You want to go work out? But we're going to Emmaus, and Emmaus is about almost a two-hour trip from yep. our house. And it's January or February, I think we went down. It was cold. And it was cold. And, you know... Fib got his from his experience from Florida. Yep, that's where I got my name. I go down. They say now you got to do thirty Merkins, thirty mountain climbers, and my hands are on the concrete with no gloves. But fortunately, um, a gentleman down there loaned me a pair of gloves, and it was all good. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was crazy. So yeah, you brought me along. You asked me if I was interested in it. Phys physical education, obviously, that's what I do now, but being physically active has always been important to me. And when we got, when we got down there, I wasn't too sure it was going to take off because I'm like, I'm up at, we left at probably, I think I was up at like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. You guys came to my house and I drove down. I think we left and, at 445 or something and, like and that. And we left pretty early yeah. in the morning. I'm like, what am I into? <laughs> And then we got this running stuff going on. And then we're doing lunges and we're doing squats and we're doing jump ups on a picnic table. But yeah, you, you each, each me brought me along and I bought into it and we've been going ever since. Matt, tell us how you got the name. Porky's. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so one of the guys from down in the Lehigh Valley, so a shout out to them. They um, wanted to name me Mrs. Ballbreaker after the movie. Porkies, for those of you that don't know, go because back into the 80s and teacher. go find out. And she was a phys ed teacher. Yeah. And since we couldn't really use Mrs. Ballbreaker in church, they came up with Porkies, and that's how I got my name. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Twinkle Toes was with us on that trip, too. That's right. Three of us went. And down. he was, I couldn't believe the way that guy could jump. Oh, unbelievable. He's 250, 260 pounds, and he, and he jumps like Charles Barkley did when he was in his prime. 
we were doing jump ups on the uh, picnic table. We were supposed to jump up on the on the seat and then jump to the ground up and down. And the the guy that was queuing, I forget who I forget who was queuing that day. But anyway, he said, you know, if you want to who. Dynamite. dynamite dynamite was queuing he said you could jump you know jump up to the top in other words jump to the seat then jump to the top and and twinkle toes this is how he got his name he jumped right from the ground all the way to the top of the table over the seat that that's a lot of mass moving that high that quickly that's right that, that boy's got some fast twitch for, for the listeners that might be intrigued by the movie porkies now <clears throat> i do think that it's worth mentioning that our podcast is g-rated um the movie porkies is not so right you probably don't <laughs> want to watch that with any uh of your little ones if you check it out that would be yeah, true if you check it out. <laughs> that was that was a movie from early or mid eighties, something like mid eighties. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're familiar with those movies. That's right. Yeah. So now I know about Plymouth, but our listeners probably don't. I grew up in the town over called Kingston. But uh, why don't you tell us what it was like growing up in Plymouth? In Plymouth, you know, your family life, you know, the whole thing. What was it like growing up there? So, ironic, um, we ended up moving to Plymouth in my kindergarten year. Um, between kindergarten and actually, I was in pre-K, and we moved to to Plymouth um, in I think it was '69. It would have been in that summer. Um, I liked it where we were at because we could sleigh ride with cardboard boxes right off the hill on my backyard, mm-hmm. and I I just have that vivid um, memory from when we lived in the back mountain for that year, and then we moved to to Plymouth. It's a small town. Uh, I think at its height, maybe had 8,500 people in it, uh, very close, close-knit community um, on the edge of our school district. Um, and, you know, everybody knew everybody. And we had a lot of, a lot of kids my age around, so that was, that was good. You know, it was a good, fam- good way to bring a family up. Nice, uh, clean, um, quiet community. So, what was the town known for? Like any particular manufacturing business, or anything like that? A lot of furniture I will tell you, stores. I will go back in the in the coal mine. It was a big coal mining town. All right, there were two coal mines, I believe. Um, there were 120 bars at one time on the main <laughs> main road alone. Now I've run that, and it's about a mile and a half long. Is my town and. The old coal, the, the old coal uh, miners used to try to see how far they can get down, have a drink at every bar. But we we had more of our more of our share of bars. Matter of fact, there was a bar that was behind, that was right next door to us. It was uh, actual a beer garden they used to call it back then. Right. So it had housing above it. Yeah, they had housing above it, so you can rent and and live upstairs. And in '72, we had the flood of Agnes, and it wiped the whole foundation out on that and it probably would have been better and i'll get to that story later had it still stayed up <laughs> but, um, so you know really there wasn't a whole um we were kind of disconnected from the other towns for because we were on the the one end they actually built the high school so i pretty much walked to school my whole life um I think I took the bus for a year, and then for three months, the year that the, the school was finally built, uh, grew up with. I have an older sister, a younger sister, two twin brothers. Um, sports was very prominent back then. P- being involved in the community with, with well, I did you did mention basketball, but football was big in our town, and 
So it was uh, ba- Little League Baseball. Like we had six teams. Now I don't even think they have a team. Right. They combined with another town today. And, w- and literally, when I was nine years old trying out for baseball for the first time, there were like 70 to 100 other kids trying wow. out for baseball. And they all got cut. Yeah. You know, like a lot of them got cut and never played. Never played because they would only take, I think, maybe 14 on a team times six. That 80, 84 people. Yeah. So, um, you know, so the competition was there at a very early age. And, you know, my dad was big into sports. He didn't have a lot of sports growing up, but he kind of um, introduced, introduced it to us. And, you know, that was just my life was, was revolved around some type of ball or a wrestling mat. Yeah, no balls involved with wrestling. We won't go there. Anyway. <laughs> Keep it clean. It is G-rated, right? It is G-rated. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so um, I got, I, before we move on to, to, to some other things, I got to ask you about the punt, pass, and kick. What happened there? I, this is a new one for me. So I didn't know this. Every year they would have a punt, pass, and kick contest. And you have to understand that I'm like one of the smallest kids in, in my town. In my high school, I think I was the third shortest kid in my graduating class. So I was like 5'3 when I graduated high school. But the whole, um, so they would have an annual event. And typically I played, I either played second or third because the two bigger kids would always be able to throw the ball a little bit further than me and kick it. But I always placed in it. Yeah. So the football career didn't pan out probably because... Of height. Height, yeah. Yeah. Still small. Actually, if, if, if push came to shove, I would have... Rather play football than wrestle. Like I, not that I don't love wrestling, but I love football just as much, if not a little bit more. And punt, pass, and kick—it doesn't really measure accuracy. It's all about distance, right? No, it ah, does I measure. Know, there's, accuracy. there's a line oh, down the middle. Yeah, yeah. There's, oh, a, there's, accuracy. there's a line out yeah. there. So I actually had a. I actually would make up because of my accuracy. Ah, like interesting. My my next door neighbor. We grew up um, playing baseball. I was a pitcher, um, infield player, right from the start, from when I was nine. And we he caught, so we were always, we'd set up a home plate, we'd set up a pitcher's mound, and I would throw pitches, he would catch them, he'd call balls and strikes, we'd argue over <laughs> over it. We would, we would actually go back out and um, we would have a throw down to second base, a throw down to third base. So we, we were constantly practicing, and we had a nice field by our house that we could play, which everybody used to congregate to. And, or if it was just four of us, we would make up our own rules playing it. It was probably about 50, 60 yards to maybe 75 yards in width and length, and we'd get a tennis ball and just play it, hit people's houses with the ball. Yeah, of course. You know? Yeah. Did you play pickle? Didn't everybody play pickle we played, up too? Yeah. We called it fox chase. Fox chase. We right. called it fox chase. Yeah, it was just pickle in our neighborhood. What but was in your but we we did that. I don't know pickle or fox you chase. You don't know what we're talking I, about? No, I don't. So, we played kill the man with the ball. That's what we played. <laughs> so go ahead, tell him. Pickle is just, it's, it's just getting in a rundown. Oh, so two, yes, I did so know that. Just oh, my ball Lord, back and my forth between bases, and you're trying, yeah. to, you're trying to steal the other base. Yes, yes, I did know pickle. Yeah, that's All pickle. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have a field where I grew up when I was really young. We, we played on the streets, and we still hit houses with the ball, so... Until the one guy at the end of the street would come out with a shotgun, then we would all run, and Ooh. a couple of days later we'd be back out there. So, well, we had the Monsignor because this was an actual 
um, a school for the Catholic school, elementary school. Well, actually, I think it was K through 12. And that, when we had the flood, they lost the foundation there, and then they just tarred it over and never built it. But they had it all um, lined out for the parishioners to park in there. And we would always get kicked out. And we'd sneak back in a couple, you know, about 20 minutes later until they came back down. I thought I told you to leave, but, yeah, you know, it was an earshot from my from my house. You know, it was just a nice, safe, safe place to to play. Yeah, do you think kids do that these days? Just like playing, go out like and pick, pick up, up games. games and stuff two like two that. kids going out with a baseball, making you know, making up games and stuff like that. I, I can tell you, my kid never, yeah, never does. Like when he was playing baseball or you know, little league, you know, we we would go and maybe a buddy or two would go along. Like if I went. And took him over to do some batting practice or something like that. But I, I don't think kids do that much anymore. No. Yeah. Yeah. Was, and even with um, my stepson, Mark, like he and much of a baseball player that he was, I can only remember him like going one time to play a pickup game where we were doing it every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think guys do still get together, play basketball. Mm-hmm. Like I still see that amongst the, the youth of today. And, uh, like my son now that he can drive, like you know, they get together with their buddies and go and play around a golf or something like that. But as a whole, though, I don't think kids get together. Like yeah, and Porky's can speak to this outside. because he is a you know he's phys ed this teacher. is ball breaker. You know, yes. he's a phys ed teacher. He's a teacher of gyms. He's a, <laughs> a couple of them. Yeah, I've been waiting yeah. to slide that in there. So tell us about your wrestling career. You got involved in wrestling. Uh, what what age? What grade were you in? So my dad introduced me to ba- to wrestling. Pretty young, he'd always wrestle around with us, and I think I was in about fifth grade when I actually entered a tournament, and it was just an intramural tournament, so it was hosted by our school district, and I don't even know if the coach I had at the time knew anything about wrestling, but he brought us down, we'd go to this field house at our um, stadium, in t- our local stadium in town, and we would have a couple practices there, and then we, I, you know, I would practice with my dad. We would move the furniture around, and my brothers and I and my dad would just practice some basic moves because my dad did get um, involved with wrestling when he was in school, but it was very, very short-lived. So he got he got me involved with it. I didn't. They had the YMCA in, in, across the town in, in the city. Uh, Wilkes-Barre had a team, but they wouldn't let me play because I didn't have grades. So my dad would never let me um, get involved with it. I think that was more my mom's doing than, than my dad. but um, And that didn't change too much throughout the year. We'll get into that. But, um, yeah, that's how I got into it. And then in seventh and actually... I did well. I think I took second second place or third place the first time. And then when I was in sixth grade, I know I took second place in the tournament. Probably wrestled about four or five kids to, to get to the finals. And actually, I was – back then, coaches couldn't invite you to practice. And he our, – our junior high coach, Gary Evans, he invited – invited me down to, to practice because I guess he saw something in me and 
but that never happened because I was getting D's and F's in school. So I actually did enough in high school just to keep wrestling. So in seventh grade is when I really got formally, when I say formally introduced, like really good coaching. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, our area, so Plymouth is in northeast Pennsylvania in what we call the Wyoming Valley. It's near Wilkesbury. It's on the opposite side of the Susquehanna River uh, from Wilkesbury. And, but it's, a, I think the whole state of Pennsylvania, correct me if I'm wrong, but in our area, was wrestling was pretty big. And uh, so there were a lot of good wrestlers. And we had a number of state champions come out of our area. Yes, and um, so so it was it was a serious sport, and uh, and our high our high school, the Wyoming Valley West Spartans, uh, had a pretty good tradition for wrestling. Um, our rivals were what Myers, Lake Lehman, those kind of guys. Myers, Lehman, Coughlin, Coughlin were yeah. the were the big three. It was always coming down to those three meets. Yeah, so there was there was year. it was a big deal. Football and wrestling were were big. I don't know what the, I don't know how big they are now, but anyway, they were big. Hard to, hard to put teams together now. They don't get enough kids out, do they? There's a lot of forfeits. A lot of yeah. um, boys don't come out for wrestling anymore. It's hard to if you're not in the school cherry picking. By the you're not getting many people out. I mean, you have some hardliners, but you you know the father thing. I think plays a huge role in that. Sure. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you. So you. You're kind of jumping ahead to your career now, and we'll, I don't want to jump us there too quickly, but I guess you know in your role now as a as a phys ed teacher in middle school, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you're seeing a lot of these kids that are opting to not wrestle. So, what what do you think maybe some of the underlying causes are of kids not wanting to wrestle these days? Well, I think one of the things is not having a having a dad in their life. Wrestling is a tough sport, and if you haven't done it. It's it's not for anybody. Um, it's not for everybody because typically your first year, you get beat. I mean, you get beat up. Yeah. You know, my first year wrestling in seventh grade, I, I, I only think I won in, in my own practice. In my own practice, I think I only won a couple elimination bouts. Mm-hmm. But I, I couldn't start as a seventh grader, and I was wrestling a ninth grader, and he was beating me. And all I was trying to do that year was really close the gap. Yeah. You know, from getting pinned from the first period to maybe not till the second period to not getting pinned at all. Then it was to try to score points. Um, I think there's a lot of lack of patience with the process. And I think there's just too much other stuff out there. The social media, the the gaming stuff has really taken a hold of the sport. Right. Yeah, because it takes it's going to take some persistence and paying your dues and taking some beatings and learning from your mistakes to really grow in a, an environment like that. Right. Yeah. So um, so you stuck with it. You got into high school and you had some success. Yeah. Um, moderate su- success. I pretty. I think I under underachieved overall and didn't reach my potential. Um, I actually, and it'll get into my story a little bit, but I, I quit my junior year when I was undefeated. And that was probably my best shot at going to States. My, my sophomore year, I was the state champ. I was his closest match and in the state that year, including wrestling, the second place finisher 
in my own district. But um, I wrestled him tough. I, I w- it was a close match till the end, and uh, I got knocked out of the tournament. But you know the potential the potential was there. But then my junior year, and you know, to be to be honest, it was it was part of my fault because of my lack of preparation. And but there was some stuff that went on with the team that and with the coaches that I didn't agree with. And I felt like that I was being mistreated and I I walked off the team. And it was more so when I finally walked off the team, there was a couple components to it. Uh, Number one, I had just pinned a kid who was undefeated that I wasn't supposed to. And I had to suck weight for that match and barely made it. Barely made weight. Matter of fact, you had a half an hour before you, the match started. And some days, and any Russell will tell you, some days the weight feels like it comes off no problem. Other days you feel like you're just struggling. And that day it just wouldn't come off me. I, w- I worked out from probably 10 o'clock in the morning till right up till the, till the time, except to travel to the mat room and then over to the high school uh, to Coughlin when we wrestled. And I pinned the guy. And I hadn't eaten all day. I probably didn't eat for almost a day and a half. And when I say eat, not a full meal. You know, probably less than 500 calories. And, but, you know, long story short of it, one of my biggest regrets is walking off the team in, 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 the, long, in the long run. Um, but I did what I thought was right. And today I could tell you uh, that hasn't changed, that thought process. But, you know, that my senior year, the top three, only the top three advanced from regionals to states. Well, the top three in my region finished the top three at states. So there was no, no shame in that. Yeah. And my senior year, I pretty much wrestled for myself and I, had, I didn't cut any weight that year. The previous three or four years, I wrestled either 95 or 98 pounds between junior high and high school. And my senior year, I decided not to cut any weight, and I had a great season, um, finished with the most wins on the team, and went the furthest out of out of anybody on the team. And considering that I was the worst wrestler coming in at seventh grade, mm-hmm. you know, that's still a pretty good accomplishment. And I got to college and was able to wrestle a year of college and was – and had success there. And I also have two younger brothers that wrestled. They wrestled through the Y. They got a they got a good start. And I spent a lot of time coaching them. And when I got to college, it was finally just focused on me. And I got better. Yeah. You know, where I was always coaching them when I was a kid. They they kind of primed me into that coaching. Well, your coaching mode. for them paid off. Yeah. 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 Because one of them was a state champ. Yes. Eric was a state champ, one of three at our high school. Yeah. Yeah, his brothers, Eric and Doug, are twins, and they were in my grade. So, um, anyway, um, you got off into the college, and then what happened? All heck broke loose. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it started before college. And, you know, I just, the end of my, I'll tell you, the first time I got drunk, I was 10 years old. And we were on a football trip. And when we came back off the bus from the from the football trip, one of the guys in my town who ended up being a professional football player named Mark Duda, his brother played for Villanova. And we would go down a trip to go see him play. That was part of our 
our fun thing at the end of the year that we did. And the coaches had ash cans of soda on one side, ash cans of beer on the other side. Well, when we they were all drunk. We are feeling pretty good. And when we got on the bus first, they were all outside the bus. They didn't, they didn't keep count of how many beers they had. And we took some in the back and I got drunk. And that was my first introduction to alcohol. And I really didn't party. I was pretty much a hermit um, for the most part. Um, growing up, like I didn't hang out with people after after school or anything like that. So, but by the time my senior year ended, I, I started partying right after pr- pretty much within a month after after my high school season ended. And then it was just a six-year nightmare after that of just partying. I was able to stay, I think I drank twice during wrestling season in college. I didn't, I started, when I went up there, I I was partying right away. Wrestling season came, I didn't, but then I stopped going to classes and, you know, they told me to come back when I grew up. I haven't been back there since. (laughs) 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 But, you know. What was the attraction to the drinking? Well, (laughs) I was always searching for answers. I always knew that there was something different about me. Um, even from a little kid, I had this like sensory, um, perception by, um, things that bothered, bothered me. Like it didn't bother other people and they'd be like, get over it. And I couldn't get over it. And I had a reading disorder. Uh, matter of fact, I will say that I'm probably one of the only kids who ever actually officially skipped summer school. I went to summer school, and we our baseball field was behind our elementary school. And I'm looking out the first day of school, and all my friends are playing minor league baseball. So I went home, took my, I put my glove in my back, shoved it in my back so my mom couldn't see it because dad was already gone to work. And I'd go up to the school like I was going to school, and I'd go to the back stair where there was a back stairs behind the school walk back down and go play minor league baseball. And it was two weeks before anybody knew it. And summer school, I think, was three weeks. So I was up, so I was already behind, so I kind of had that stigmatism, and I couldn't read. I just could not comprehend what I was reading and really just got pushed through school. So I knew that there was something wrong with me. Uh, I also had, had my first official job when I was 10, helping my sister pet pedal and papers so we had a split route and I would get a little bit of money of that and all my money would go into the pinball machine that I would get my dad didn't manage our money didn't ask for anything said just put some away you don't give a 10 year old a bag full of money and I would go down we had a pizza shop a block half a block from our house that had pinball machines and it was like a magnet I could say I'm walking in there for a piece of pizza and a Coke. And I would say, okay, I'll play one game of pinball. One game becomes two. Two becomes three. Three becomes four. So I'm sticking all these dimes in, in it, and I'm spending all my money. And I used to walk out of there shaking my head like, why did I just blow my money on the pinball machine? Like it made zero sense. Yeah. 
And it actually, um, you know, just, it, it didn't make sense. But anytime I walked in there, I mean, if I wasn't going for pizza for the family, and even then sometimes, I, it was like I was back there attracted to it, and I had to play it. I had to beat the high score. Mm-hmm. That was my rationale. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I wasted a lot of money on that dang pinball machine. So I always, so I always knew that there was something wrong with me. But communication didn't exist in our in our household how, how do i say to my parents like i just blew five dollars on the pinball machine and i don't know why there's something wrong with me so you kind of just sensed that you had this like addictive yeah before i knew right yeah before yeah. i even knew what it was right you know and i would obsess over things you know if i struck out mm-hmm if I beamed somebody, like I would just carry it on. And that, and, and my dad was very good at being negative. And that just, and trying to be perfect. And I just tried to live perfectly, but it was kind of like a paradox because I knew I'm not perfect. I knew I was never going to be perfect. And I'm doing all this other stuff. And I just knew that there was something wrong. You know, that I was different than other people. Didn't know what it was, but then, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I got booted out of college, like I said earlier, and I just started drinking and drugging. Got, you know, one thing led to the next, you know. And I think getting into it was looking for answers, looking for a sense of being okay. Like I was never comfortable in my own skin. You know, our buddies on the wrestling team and people in school that you met. I was a guy that kind of was on the periphery of the group and would laugh and joke, but I would never say anything or interrupt anything or or put it in. And there's a lot of times my brain is going 100 miles an hour, but my mouth says something totally different than what's on topic. So you'd get your, you know, get busted for that. So I just kind of just stayed stayed on the edge and I just played it real real safe so to speak except obviously not too safe because you know I got into drugs and alcohol just to and then it was just to kill pain because my upbringing was pretty rough with my dad Um, I'm not saying he didn't do good things but there was a lot of things that he did that really um had a had a awful impact on me and i was telling somebody the other day my older sister's adopted by my dad so i'm his firstborn my mom's second so that should have told me i was screwed up because i'm not sure if i'm supposed to be number one or number two (laughs) 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 but anyway um i came to the realization a while ago that i think without my dad ever even admitting it he was actually resentful of me because he had to get married. Oh, he yeah. married my mom. And it just never, it just hit me one day. And, you know, I just dealt with it. But, because I took a lot of, a lot of, um, not your normal beating or your normal, like, put downs, but stuff that would meant to demoralize you or to demean you. So he took a lot of confidence and a lot of self-esteem away from me over over time. 
without even realizing it, even though in some areas he was trying to be encouraging. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just went, I was off to the races for six years and, and somehow I don't even know how, but I ended up, I was always, I always worked hard. So I got a job at Wendy's and worked my way up from, a, from that to, to a manager and I'm like managing a quarter million dollar business and I can't even manage my own life because it was just getting so mm-hmm. dysfunctional. And everything, my whole life just centered around how was I going to get the money? Where was I going to get the drugs? Where was I going to get the alcohol? How much was I going to buy? And, and really, I think in some ways I was on a suicidal mission. Mm. You know? But God had other plans. Yeah. But I always say that I'm on borrowed time. In some ways, a, a good perspective. Yeah. We should all think that, right? Yeah, I think so. Enjoy every day. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So so what happened after that? How would you get out of it? So let me just back up. So about oh, six months before I got sober, I had a couple of things happen. Number, number one, um, I, my, I had um, two children by two different women. Then I had um, that I felt a lot of shame about and guilt about because I wasn't in their li- either one of their lives and took no responsibility. And then I was in two car accidents. Two car accidents. One, I flipped. I was a passenger in. We started partying at like eight o'clock on a Saturday morning. I got work at Sunday morning at seven thirty, and we're still out at four o'clock in the morning. And I think he passed out at the wheel or fell asleep, one of the two. Obviously, I wasn't hanging around with sober people. He was feeling pretty good himself, and he flipped his car. And we were landed on this. He was pinned down on the bottom. I was on top of him, laying up against the telephone pole. And then, and that was going to sober me up. And I couldn't stop. Like, I just didn't know how. I I wanted to stop. For three years, I knew I had a problem with it, and uh, this is like year, this is like year five, or going on year six of, of partying, and that happened. That was going to sober me up. I lasted about two days, if that, and then two weeks later, I passed out the wheel myself and rammed the back of a flatbed. And I blew a .25 alcohol, and my dad. That's high. Yeah, it was .25. Yeah, and that's when they took it. Right. You know, and and that was when it was you know 1.0. Now they dropped it down to .08. Yeah. But so I um, ran the back of a flatbed, and you think that would be enough, and it wasn't. I'm still trucking along. Like that lasted, I don't even think that one lasted 24 hours. And I was back at it. So. No injuries, obviously, from. The only thing I, the only thing that I got from it was between the two accidents was it looked like somebody popped me in the face with a little busted lip. And I had a bruise the size of a dime on my hip. Mm -hmm. And that was it. So. You're feeling kind of invincible. No, I, I didn't really. Th- I didn't really feel like I was invincible. I was just numb, right? You know, um, and lucky. 
I knew I was lucky. So I remember after that, I had, because I lost that car because that car got totaled. Um, shouldn't run, run into a back of a flatbed. <laughs> I don't even know how fast I was. I woke up like from me to you away from them, what, three or four feet. Yeah. I don't know how fast I was going. And he was slowing down, I think, at the, at the stop sign from what they told me or the stop light. And I, the guy, the cop that was there, you know, he basically told me, he goes, nobody can drive the distance, your distance, if you're not practicing that alcohol. Because I drove a pretty fair, fair amount of mileage under that condition. And, but then, you know, I, was, I started to pray to God. And I can remember just vividly asking my like, God, like, I don't want to keep doing this. And I had this old 68 Chevelle now that I'm driving. It was AM radio, no air conditioning, the crank windows, no music. And I remember vividly, I can tell you exactly where I was at. I was on this ramp and going towards Nanico coming up. And I'm asking God to just please help me. I don't, I don't know what you, what you want from me, but just I don't want to keep doing this. And I heard the seatbelt click in the back seat. And I actually turned around because I thought something happened. And I honestly believe and couldn't convince me otherwise that there wasn't God's spirit in that vehicle. So, but he still let me, he still let me roll. You know, and actually I got into treatment because my brother, one of my brothers went to treatment and when he came out, my parents were like, you're going or you're going. Because I was still living at home. And I walked into the work the next day. I was still, I was still fighting. Even though I wanted help, the, 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 the amazement part about this insidious thing with drinking is that one minute you can want help and the next minute you're still fighting for that drink. Mm. Or you're still fighting for that drug. And right up till the day before I went to treatment, actually, I think it was two days before, I had a, one of my employees when I was still managing Wendy's came up to me and told me about her brother that had just recently died of a cocaine overdose. And she let me have it. Mm. And she was probably one of the few, she was 18 going on 28. Like she was just so, so mature for her age. Had anybody else told me, I probably would have just, you know, said blippity blip and you know who do you think you are but I listened to her and went to work the next day and I think I was in it was um, first day of summer I was sitting in rehab and for the first time in my life I well obviously I was asking for God for help before that but I'm like, God, like, I don't know what my life's for. So I was 23 and a half years old. Nothing um, going well. I mean, even my job was bad. Like, they, if they knew half the stuff I was doing, I'd have been gone. I can't believe that they never knew. Um, or they just turned a blind eye to it one way or another. But um, I just asked God to remove the obsession for me to use. I don't know what I'm in for. I don't know what my life's going to look like. 
going forward, but I do not want to go back to where I came. And in rehab, in, um, they snow you in the beginning. They give you some good medicine to get you through the withdrawal. So it was Tuesday night, and I woke up Friday afternoon. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. You know, for like when I really woke up. And from that point on, I never had a desire to, to drink or drug again. And God willing, this June 21st, I'll be sober 35 years. Awesome. You know, without without a relapse. And it's only by his grace that that's happened. And a lot of good stuff's happened ever since. A lot of not-so-nice stuff, but, mm-hmm. you know, my life's been a lot better than... Because I didn't think I was going to live past 30. Yeah, borrowed time, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, when did you move to Danville? What year was that? So... Um, I moved to Danville in 2006, the first time the, the price has hiked up. Um, I was previously married. My wife, um, my ex-wife, didn't no longer want to be married, and she said, I want a divorce. And I'm like, okay. You know, I mean, I wasn't that happy about it. I really... Um, did not want to fail at a, at a relationship, but I moved to Danville in, in 2006. That's that summer, as soon as school was out. And what was the attraction to Danville? Well, I was working in, in Sunbury, in Chickalemi. Okay. So I was working down here. I was traveling an hour to, to work every day. Um, I had some designs to, to be back at my high school because I wanted to coach wrestling at my high school. I always had that that desire to want to do that, but then um, that didn't... Actually, ironically, when I moved down here, a position became open. That's the way it always works, right? Right, and I was like, oh, God's telling me no. You yeah. know, and I just said, okay. And I was pretty happy with where I was at. I, I really was comfortable. I loved it down here. Um, and just stayed. And met somebody else. And I met my wife at work. Um, we ended up uh, dating. Obviously, I knew her from, from her time. She had gotten a divorce herself. Um, and then we hit it off, and we, we started talking, and then we started dating. And now I'm blessed with four kids. And... Um, you know, we had our own, I had two, well, I had, my one son did come back into my life. Um, unfortunately, uh, my other son, he passed away in 2015. Um, I ended up giving him up for adoption after I got sober. Um, had some counseling on that. And then, um, but I always prayed that he would come back to my life, that I would have an opportunity to make amends and, say how sorry I was that I wasn't there in his life. But, you know, then again, God said, said no. And he took him. So that was in 2015. But so my other son I have in my life, I got him back after I got sober. Probably I was about, oh, almost a year sober when he came back came back into my life, I think it was. 
And um, my wife and I, my Giselle and I, we have our own child. So she's going to be what, 12 years old this year. It's hard to believe. Yeah, wow. You know? And I've been blessed with a great wife and, and kids because, ironically, I wasn't going to have my first wife and I weren't going to have kids. So mm-hmm. what the, what do I know about life? <laughs> you know, I didn't think I'd ever have have kids other than, than my oldest boy right now, Sean. Yeah. And I have two two great stepchildren. Thanks to workplace romance. So it who, happens. Who asked who asked who out? We're gonna get we're gonna get some little information in here for the romantic guys that might be out here listening. Or ladies that might be listening. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. No, I I had no plans on on dating. And it was a real actually it was a real struggle. Um we started dating. I'm like, all right. But she had two children and they both have cystic fibrosis and Tourette syndrome. And I didn't know if I could handle it. Could handle it. Yeah. You know, and you know, obviously I didn't have a lot of experience because I was just a, basically a part time dad to my to my son Sean. I'd only see him on weekends. Um and I quite frankly, I was in my forties and I'm like, do I really want to go down this road? You know, but and many I moved to Riverside down here in you know, 06, and then when we started dating, you know, and she's putting the full court press on me. You know? All right, I was gonna I was gonna so my follow up question is who said I love you first? Oh, she did. Okay, she did. I, I, dial up the romantic. I know. Oh, I, I was just, I was just curious. I thought maybe he turned the corner and he ended up asking first. I was curious. <laughs> yeah. Gonna paint a little love story stuff in here. All right. Well, okay. Right? All right. Sorry. No. You <laughs> anyway, know, back to the I, wrestling thing. I, I was, I was really right. <laughs> just kidding. No, keep going. I, I was really comfortable being by myself, and I was at that point where, you know, I'm like, I'm okay. I wasn't. Yeah. You know, I really wasn't okay. I was fooling myself, but I had a lot of stuff to occupy my time. I was playing golf every day in the summertime or just about. I was working in a golf course part-time. I was coaching wrestling. I was coaching football. And so I had a lot of investment into other things. So I'm like, that stuff's going to go. You know, and I was really um, fighting it. And believe me, she a couple times she gave me an ultimatum. (laughs) You know, I mean, this is it. This is it. And I'm like, it's on you. And I just kept praying on it. I wasn't going to church or anything, but I just kept praying. Like, God, is you really want me to take on two children? Not only two children, but two children that have illnesses. You know that there's going to be some type of issues with them growing up without their father in their life and and really trying to plan like you know i i can't be their father but i've got to be their friend but i've got to be also a firm adult and and in agreement with my wife on stuff like that and it was just a tough decision but then i made the decision and you know i've been blessed yeah, you've been blessed and they've been blessed because uh, you've been a, a great husband and father to those kids. Yeah. 
and then to Hallie, your youngest, who you had with Joselle. So um, you've uh, certainly made the sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. You know, you give up your, your freedom when, to some degree when you get married and you take on that stuff. And uh, you've been an encouragement to me, I can tell you that. Yeah, same same here. Yeah, yeah, because you guys have dealt with a lot of stuff because both kids that have uh, CF and, and dealing with those issues and then some other health issues in the family and stuff. So, um, yeah, man, it's a, it's been great. So well, just, and ironically, Holly was born with, with health issues. Yeah. She has a form of spina bifida and she has, um, a rare genetic eye disorder that we can't trace on either side of our family. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's certainly been at times a tough road for you, but you've, you just held strong through it. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you, you shared there that there was some selfishness, right, keeping you from wanting to get into this relationship. And, yeah, as an outside observer, like I've seen a lot of these struggles that your your families went to went through, right, with, with the kids' health, um, you know, Giselle's health as well. And selfishness is not any, any word I would use to describe how you've rallied around your family and, and supported them. Right. Um, you know, from, from my perspective. So I, I commend you for that, respect you for that. And, uh, like, like DFib said, it's, it's certainly inspired me to see you take care of your family. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, yeah, we started this F3 thing. I've told the story before a little bit on the podcast in the past, but, um, I was, I got involved with F3 when I moved down to Florida for a year, my wife and I, we ended up moving back and, uh, to make a long story short, I missed F3 and I wanted to be part of it. But the closest one, as you said, was down in Lehigh Valley. It was a close to two-hour drive. And so I thought, well, I got to just plant my own shovel flag. Am I going to get to come along with me? So I was the dancing idiot, I guess. And yes. I got some more guys to join me. And two of them are on this podcast right now. So um, I conveniently had soccer practice. I had the yeah, run Yeah, dial-up pegged <laughs> out of the two-hour drive at four in the morning. But uh, the three of us drove down. And, uh, of course, I knew what F3 was about. And we got down there, and uh, but Porky's was the guy I thought of. I um, mean, him and uh, Dial Up and a, f- a couple other guys. So we had a five-member SLT. And uh, just so happened that right after we made our trip down there and stuff, and we were thinking about uh, having our big uh, kickoff, COVID hit. And so, we, so I started by sharing some workouts um, by text messaging and everybody would do it on their own and then we would videotape ourselves afterwards and that kind of thing until we finally launched in May of 2020. And uh, I can tell you, so Porky's is, what are you, 58 now? Yes. 58. So he's three years older than me and boy, this guy can go, let me tell you. Uh, you remember he said he was in high school working out from 10 in the morning until he had a wrestle and then he wrestled a guy and pinned him. Yeah, he's still been working. He's been working out since then. And I feel, uh, I feel bad for the kids that... <laughs> <laughs> that are in his classes because he puts them through the ringer, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I remember you would do like the deck of cards workout every, and you would do it with him every class, and then you'd come to a beatdown. Yeah. Or you'd do the beatdown in the morning and do that. Um, what? So in the uh, the Iron Packs Challenge, was it this past year or the year before? Yeah, we should probably talk about what that is for the listeners that have no well, idea you what the Iron Packs it. Challenge. All right, so, so, once, so once a year, these... Um, uh, bright, inspiring, intelligent guys down in F3 Greenwood. And I always forget whether it's 
North Carolina, South one of those Carolina. Carolinas. One of those yeah. Carolinas. They should just join Mick One Carolina. They should, yeah. <laughs> one Carolina. Uh, we'll, we'll submit that as I an idea. I submit that right now see on the podcast. It goes. Anyway, so so these uh, these these wonderful guys down in uh, F3 Greenwood, they put together uh, this thing called the Iron Packs Challenge. And so the Iron Packs Challenge is, is four weeks plus a, a practice week at the beginning where they put together these um, not-so-easy uh, workouts that everybody across F3 Nation then does uh, collectively if they, if they sign up for it. And so each week they do this, like, ridiculously hard workout. They can submit their time that it took them to complete the workout or the number total number of reps that they completed during uh, the, the period of time that's allowed for the workout. And anyway, you submit your scores and then uh, they each week publish the rankings. So you get to see how you did compared to your peers across F3 nation. And they, they have like a, a young bucks category for those that are, have not achieved respect status. And then they've got the respects uh, category as well for those that are 50 and older of which Porky's qualifies. And and Porky's does pretty good. I think you were top 20 when you're the I final so, tabulation. Yeah. Was you like 15th or something like that? I think somewhere around there. Yeah, like um, 15th in the respect category across the country. Yeah. Yeah. He could do Merkins forever. <laughs> and he makes us do them. Yes. The only way I ever can keep up with Porky's in a workout is if there's enough running to let me catch up to him. Yeah, so these guys are a little competitive. So when, when I, I, We battle pretty hard, a yeah, lot of workouts. Cue a beat down. If there's a lot of running involved, dial-up's going to win. If there's a lot of other stuff involved, Porky's would probably win. And so they both kind of, you know, you could see Porky's getting out of the pit, you know, where you're doing the groundwork and start running. And dial-up's behind him, you know, gets out later, and dial-up's going to catch him on the run, and they're back in the pit again. And it's a fun it's a fun. It's a good Battle time. To watch. It's a yeah. good time, yeah. Yeah. And you're egging us on the whole time. Great oh, yeah, yeah. I love the egg on. I can't beat either of <laughs> you right now, so it's, yeah. I believe he did egg, egg us on the last workout. He did the last time. Yeah. He's going to get you. He's yeah. going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> you better go a little fast. I never saw Porky's run so fast. He sprinted. He, he was yeah. gone. He tried run to, he tried to run, create dude. that gap, and then I was mowing him down, and I knew he was just saving a little bit, so I knew as soon as I would pull up on his shoulder, he was going to take off and yeah if that run was another quarter mile yeah, and he did him, yeah i need yeah i need more than a short loop around the parking lot to to, yep, to make yeah. up enough ground they say they're not strong for stamina but you're quick out of the box but right yeah <laughs> you know well i don't have either so i'm i'm glad uh, that you guys can do it um so tell me about uh, your experience with f3 so you are a third fq so i'm a third fq which means that i'm responsible for Part of the responsibility for um, our fellowship and our, sorry, community service and leading some um, projects there and getting um, stuff going with uh, Q Source leadership and, and the studies that we do with that. And also, um, you know, getting spiritual stuff under, under wraps. And I got beach ball. To, to come along and he's taken taken that part on for a ride but um yeah like you know i got i still have a lot lot to learn about christ and and the bible and, but being able to serve serve the team and serve others i mean it's just been a, a a real blessing that you asked me to take part of that um it's a week it's probably my weakest area right now um 
or that I, that I have. I'm not used to uh, being out in the front there as much, but um, you know, we had we've had some good projects. Feed, you know, feed, feeding the homeless. We did the Santa Claus. Um, yeah, tell us a little about the uh, operation. Do we call it Operation, operation Santa, Santa Claus? Claus right? Operation yeah, Santa tell, Claus, tell yeah. us a little bit about that. So I, I came up with the idea. I was just um, looking at looking at stuff and trying to think of how we can, you know, simply impact our community. And I came up with the idea that we would try to purchase gift cards. My school district is a poor um, school district as well. And there's some poor areas in, in our in our town. So I came up with the idea that we would incorporate a beatdown, but we would deliver some, we, as, as a PACS, we would put some, uh, donate some money, our own money, get some gift cards out, and try to spread the wealth to our uh, one of our local low-income housing areas. And so I think we ended up with about somewhere between 35 and, and 40, anywhere from 20, a minimum of $25 gift cards and some goodies that people um, made or purchased and put in bags. And we dropped them off at there. We went as a group. We went for a little run. I think I, uh, Beachball and I co-cued that workout. So we added the run, and we dropped off the uh, just random houses in, in, in the project area. And I'll tell you, the, the one of the biggest blessings was when uh, Mater, we got a, um, a couple responses from people that um, they didn't know who, the didn't gifts. know the names of any of us, but they we put yeah. down the F three, you know. Yeah, but I think they knew one of us through Facebook, and they right, knew one right. of us was coming. Yeah, and I think that yeah, and I think they knew Mater. Mater. They knew him from just seeing like our different posts on on social media. Right. Yeah, so, I was trying to. Actually, that's what I was actually doing here in my phone while we were talking. I was trying to find that post that she had shared. I didn't. I, I would have been better prepared had I known our conversation was going to go this way. But um, I was looking for that post because, uh, if you don't mind me jumping in here, no. I, I have to tell you, like I, we, Mater and I missed that morning because we had our our soccer team that we coached down at a down at a tournament south in South PA, and uh, we were we were coaching the kids, and this text message comes through. Um, to to Mater and he and he pulls it up and he and he reads it to me you know and, and here I am you know my wife will tell you I'm a softy uh and I am Mater's like reading this to me and like there I am standing on the on the soccer pitch you know with with the team helping them get ready for the next game and like literally like my eyes are kind of tearing up you know hearing just this message of what Operation Santa Claus meant to her and her young kids just to come out totally surprised to find this, these gifts yeah. at their front door that morning. And, uh, you know, I think it, one of the four year olds got it right. And said, yeah, I, yeah, said, I think, yeah, one of the young kids got it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, mommy, we got a gift and just the, the excitement that it caused for her, her kid, uh, or kids. And, uh, you know, the mom, just the heartfelt message of, her sharing how much just such a small little gift um, and, and token like that at the time of, of Christmas meant to her family because she didn't have a lot of money. 
uh, to get anything for our kids. So it was, it was just huge. Um, so yeah, well done. That's a great, uh, that was a great, uh, morning. And, yeah. Uh, and so a that's a great idea and a great project. Just one of, you know, n- a number of things that we've done, but that was uh, a really cool one that stood out. Um, Spielberg, do you have the, uh, the text? Is that what you're showing us? I'll let uh, somebody that doesn't need to wear glasses read it. All right. Yeah. So it was simple message here. You have no idea how much that meant to my four-year-old twins. They said, somebody left us a present, mommy. As a single parent, it really meant a lot to us. Thank you so much. Um, and then she went on to say, Christmas is tough this year, and this uh, this gift will allow them to go into the store and pick something they want. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Merry Christmas to you and all the men who made this possible. Yeah, that's what it's all about, man. Yeah. When F3 guys get together and, and uh, they start growing these bonds of fellowship and 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 become high-impact men, really, and want to influence our, our communities, and this is where where the uh, this is the result, you know, one of the different all many different ways that you know, we can see the results of that. Um, I want to get back to what F three means to you. Like, so tell us what what does F what has F three done for you? What does it mean to you? Well, it has accelerated my fitness because I I really feel like overall I work harder at my fitness now than I ever did, and that includes when I wrestled, like where I actually. I'm not mandated, not have to, mm-hmm. but I, I, I put that in there. But, you know, stuff like this that we're doing with, with this kid, when I read that, you know, I read that post as well. Like, I was, I was just in tears because, you know, you don't realize, I think, sometimes how much just even a small thing like a $25 gift card mm-hmm. really means to somebody. Yeah. You know, that that's down and out. And, you know, God put them in our lives because we don't even know where they live. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We just know it's a housing unit, but we didn't really know who was where. We we had some ideas because, you know, we looked for houses that had toys in the yard or on the, on the porch and stuff like that. So, you know, F3, it's not really about my fitness anymore. It's more about watching other guys grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like our boy Spielberg here, you know, taking on, you know, he's a young man and, you know, he's taking on the responsibilities and, and growing. His, his fitness is growing. Uh, we've had some other people that have come along that I've just watched grow that, you know, they couldn't run a lap the first time <laughs> they came. Right. Yeah. Or, and even more importantly is how they're, they've transformed their, their personality. You know, I think we've had some people that were between borderline depressed and angry that now they have smiles on their face. They're joking around. They're interacting where before I knew them before they were even in F3 and they weren't that person. Right. Yeah. So their their fitness has accelerated them. And I'm really a firm uh, and my college wrestling coach really stuck this in in the basics, it's, you know, getting sleep, trying to eat right, and and fitness. So seeing seeing the men come together, um, you know, sharing each other's burdens. You know, relationships for me has has always been difficult. I didn't have friends that I would say growing up. I didn't have a good mentorship on 
how to love people unconditionally and how to learn how to compromise and learn how to just communicate with one another. Right. And I think that that has, I hope it's evolved. I hope I've, I've shown, because if I'm not, somebody needs to call me out on it. But I, I feel like I'm a better friend today than I ever was. I feel like I'm genuinely interested in, in other people. So F3 has really helped accelerate that of late. And just watching, and, and just watching the men grow, holding yourself accountable, um, knowing like there's, you know, some days you don't want to get up in the morning, but you know your brother's going to be out there. And, you know, last week I was feeling feeling ill, and I, um, I went, I knew the, the Tuesday workout, nobody showed up, and the guy was by himself, and I felt bad, but um, that, that I wasn't there. But, you know, the, the following workout, I woke up a little later than I normally do that Thursday, and I made it a point to be there. Um, and I wasn't feeling good, I was under the weather, but I really wanted to get some more rest, but that accountability is so huge yeah. to me, you know, that I know somebody's going to be there for me, you know. And, you know, I, I learned that back when I went to AA meetings, when I was going to AA meetings, that, you know, you want to reach out and you want people to help there, but it was a, a different way about it, you know. There was, it's not, I'm more convicted, I think, today of making myself available to other men and, and reaching out and texting somebody words of encouragement or, you know, hey, you know, how you doing with this issue? How you doing with that issue? And even praying for them, quite yeah. frankly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, it's been a blessing. I still have issues with OCD. Like that's never gone away completely. So I have to be careful because I have a tendency to overdo it. <laughs> and I just, you know, I'll overdo it in one area and I'll kind of put everything else. And I'm like the horse with blinders and that's what I'm focused on. He, he overdoes it on the Merkins most Merkins. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, the funny thing about that is you guys bust me about Merkins. I hated Merkins growing up. Yeah. I couldn't do them. I couldn't do them good. Well, you could do them now. I was yeah. like a ski slope. <laughs> yeah. So I could ski off my back. <laughs> Well, you, what you described is going from survival, survivor to servant, as they describe in the book. So um, the founders of F3, Dread and OBT, wrote a book in, uh, there, and in uh, QSource, which is a leadership manual by Dread, they, they talk about going from a survivor to a servant. And, uh, and that's what you just described vividly. That's, that's one of the things F3 did for you. And I know you told me before that it's increased your confidence because you... Um, self-described sort of introverted kind of back of the room kind of guy. And now you, then you stepped up to lead, you stepped up to lead uh, as a third FQ, but you even told me recently that you're stepping up to lead at work even more. Yeah. I've, um, it has impacted my, my work, I think for the most part. Um, and, and in some in good ways and maybe some in ways that maybe technically I shouldn't be in work, but I'm still, trying to step up and still trying to be better at work. And, you know, there's always, you know, when you work in a public school system, there's always contractual stuff like that that they don't want you to do. And 
Um, I may get myself in trouble for this, but, you know, I'm going to pick that broom up. Right. You know, I'm going to pick that paper up in the hallway. You know, um, trying to lead kids. I teach in a middle school. Trying to teach kids and boys to be more responsible. Like, yeah. um, it was interesting because we just played a badminton unit and we had six nets up and they got to get put away every night because of basketball practice. And at the risk of sounding sexist here, most of the girls were putting them away. Yeah. And the boys were off on the side doing whatever. And I just went over and said, you got this one, you got that one, you got this one, you got that one, you got this one. You know, you two bring these in, you know, and I'm like, and you're going to do it until we're done with no the one, unit. No one leaves until, oh, the whole, no, yeah, with the the whole unit. unit. Yeah, I'm like, there's it. no reason why the girls are outworking you. I'm sorry. You know, and I'm not saying that, that girls can't outwork guys, but the fact of the matter is, like, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and guys did the grunt work. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's also a way to teach them some responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're shirking on it. And I'm like, look it. You're you're not doing this because you're watching other other people and you're just being lazy, and you can you are capable of doing it. Yeah. So in those ways, I, I've I've tried to step up. Um, I've had some other ideas that I want to try to get get going eventually. I'd like to start a men's group with or a workout group with the boys um, in the school outside and you know on on the weekend and, and try to build some you know. Of their self Take some of what we're doing here and give it to them. Yeah. What's that? Take some of what we're doing at F3 and give it to them. Yeah, yeah. and really try to establish that that line. So, sure. you know, um, so it's affected every, you know, I think I'm a better husband. Yeah. We've got to check with DM on that one. Uh, <laughs> oh, we will. She may have Let another, me get on the phone. <laughs> she may have another idea. All right, so uh, last question. Uh, if you could give a message to guys out there that struggle with the kind of things you struggle with, what would you tell them? Well, a long time ago, um, believe it or not, it's always stuck with me. I saw an interview, I believe it was with Lionel Richie and he, and his, when he was going through his stuff, he went through a, a bad depression and his father told him it didn't matter how many times you get knocked down. It matters how many times you get knocked, that you get back up. And the biggest thing that I would say is I've had, you know, a lot of hardships in my, since I got sober. Life's still going to be life, and you've got to learn to deal with it. But it's you got to get back up. you you got to get back up. And you can have your moments where you're on the pity pot and, you know, you're not motivated. But to me is, and the other one is don't quit before the miracle happens. Ooh, I like Ooh, that. That's a good one. You know, um, and I, that was one from... From AA, I went from somebody who couldn't read to being tutored um, for a year when I went back to college as an adult, graduated with honors, got the reading stuff straightened out. It was a lot of hard work. I drove an hour to school for four years straight, summers included, working full time. So I'm not anything special about it. I just did it. I had a focus. I stopped feeling sorry for myself. I let people help me. And I think that's the biggest thing is you got to let people help you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always tell kids in school, Michael Jordan has a coach. Kobe Bryant has a coach. Tiger Woods has a coach. There's a reason why they have coaches. Yeah. 
And <clears throat> I think that's the, my biggest message is just keep, keep at it, you know. <coughs> don't, don't, don't give, you know, Jimmy V, don't give up. Don't ever give up. Yeah. Don't give up. That's a great message, man. Keep getting up. Persevere. Don't quit before the miracle happens. So did, did Rocky, the movie Rocky, did they did they steal that line from Lionel Richie then? The, I don't the, know. The line about <laughs> you know, how many times you get knocked down, right. just keep getting up, keep moving forward. I'm, I'm wondering whether Rocky stole from Lionel Richie. It's getting my bedtime. I'm coughing too much now. And <laughs> don't quote me on the Lionel Richie, but I was pretty sure that it was him. So yeah. let's just. Uh, That's okay. We'll give let's Lionel go with Richie it. Yeah, credit. Lionel Richie. That's he can, cool. He can get the credit. It's all cool. I'm just curious now. So obviously, you know, we've got a guy who overcame a lot. Yeah. And he's leading by example now. Mm-hmm. And he's leading his family. Mm-hmm. I think this is a high impact man. He is in high. He is definitely a high impact man. And just to, you know, kind of wrap up this episode, I think a couple of takeaways here is don't quit. Don't give up. Don't quit before the miracle happens. <clears throat> find a group of guys. If it's not F3, then, then find another group of guys that you could have as a posse. Somebody that will have your back. Don't go through life alone. The Carolina should join and form one Carolina. <laughs> and dial up as an emotional, softy, romantic at heart. Yes. We learned those things. Today. You learned those things tonight. Yeah, I yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Porkies, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I Appreciate had a great time. time. Appreciate All it. All right. Love All you, right. brother. Bless you, man. Great having you. You too, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high-impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week, and you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.